0: So this week, our our text picks up right after last week. Um, Jesus had just left Nazareth and is heading to Capernaum. And though this is not his hometown, he does encounter some of the same issues that he encountered in Nazareth. In this text, we begin to see the power that Jesus has. The power that he has over the spiritual and the physical world. As we encounter the power that Jesus has to save, I pray that we would each be affected by his love, his power, and his desire for each of us. May God bless you as we explore this text this morning. Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 44. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his words possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out in every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And they appealed to him on her behalf, and he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose, and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them all to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, "You are the Son of God." But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Thus ends the reading this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word today, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. The best actors in film are often known as chameleons. They they are able, they have the ability to play any role that may come across their desk. And and they do it really well. They do it really well. There's a few of them out there now. Not, not as many as we may think, but there's a few that are out there. But, so there's, there's, there's these ones that are chameleons that can play all these different roles, and then, then there are actors that get pigeonholed into one type of role for their entire career. These guys and gals play basically the same character in every movie, and though they achieve some measure of success through doing it, their legacy is weakened and their employment options are limited. This is it's called being typecast. And it's most actors like biggest fear. Michael Sarah, a known typecast actor. He's he's known as like the awkward indie teen. Like if you're having some awkward indie dude, Michael Sarah, like that's the role he plays. We see him in Arrested Development, Juno, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. These are the types of roles that he plays. Another one is is Steve Buscemi, the greasy, like, Weasley, slightly mental creep. That's just his role. Fargo, Con Air, Armageddon. Or Helena Bonham Carter, an eccentric, darkly-themed woman. Fight Club, Sweeney Todd, Harry Potter, Alice in Wonderland. Or how about John Wayne? We love John Wayne. He's he's a fun character. I mean, you put John Wayne in a movie and you're selling tickets to that movie, but John Wayne played the same types of characters in every role. The cowboy, the soldier, right? Stagecoach, true grit. They were expendable. Red River. Now some typecast actors and actresses, they do really well for themselves. And this isn't meant to be a slight, right? Like I'm not making fun of the guys that I just, I just put up there. But it's, it's more an illustration of the reality that they have been put in a box. This is, this is the box that they get to live in. This is the box that, that shows their career. I mean, how often do we see John Wayne play the villain? Or Helen and Bottom Carter play the girl next door? Or, or Michael Sarah play the cool, confident lawyer? Or Steve Buscemi, the action star? There may be a movie where each of them, you know, kind of comprise some of those roles. But that's not what's expected of them. If you see that they're in a movie, that's not the role you're anticipating. When we see their name linked to a movie, we already know what what type of role they're going to play. The type of role that they play well. The type of role that they perform best in. As I was studying this text this week, I was struck by how the people listening to Jesus typecast him. He was there in their synagogues, in their towns, teaching them, and and they listened to what he was saying, but they also really liked the miracles that he was doing. They were being blessed by his ministry, and they they didn't want him to go. They were bringing him their demon-possessed, their sick, and he was healing them. They understood what a blessing it was to have him in their town. They're probably remembering back to a similar situation from their history that we read about in Second Samuel chapter six, and it's the story of Uzzah. I don't know really how to pronounce this guy's name. It's U-Z-Z-A-H. I'm going with Uzzah. If you want to pronounce it a different way, go for it. It's a dead language. You can choose what you want to do with that. But it's the story of Uzzah and and the Ark of the Covenant. So they're bringing, they're transporting the Ark. David and and is, is transporting the ark to Jerusalem. And as they're moving along, the, the ox carts like, take in the, the ark, and the oxen stumble, and, and the ark shifts. And Uzzah is, is walking along with them, and he sees the ark shift, and he's nervous that something's going to happen to it. So he reaches out, and he balances the ark in a particular way. And when he touches the ark, which you're not allowed to do, that's why like when you see them transporting it, there's like these poles that, that the, the priests are carrying. No one's allowed to touch the ark, but Uzzah does it. He touches the ark because he's scared it's going to fall out. And when he touches it, boom, God, God kills him. Takes him out. This is not okay. Doesn't matter if you were trying to do this for, for a good purpose. Doesn't matter if you were scared that it was going to fall. You don't get to touch the ark. That's just part of the commandment. This is the, the holiness of God. Boom, Done. And that freaks David out. David's like, oh no, like we can't, what are we gonna do with this thing now? Like it's dangerous. This thing's killing people. We, this, this is scary to me. And so they bring it to a nearby house, the house of Obed-Edom, the Giddite. And, and they leave the ark in this house. And while the ark is there, Obed-Edom is being blessed. Like his house is doing well. All the blessings of the Lord are just pouring out on this house. And Obed-Edom's like, this is fantastic. This is fantastic. All of this blessing, of, all the blessing of God is just like centering on my, build, on my house, on my lands, on my property, on my family, on my oxen. Like, my wealth is, is multiplying. This is wonderful. The ark being here is, is great. And some people... They come up to David and they're like, yo, David, uh, Obed-Edom is getting totally blessed, but this blessing is not just for this house. The blessing of the Ark is for all the people. It belongs in the temple in Jerusalem. It belongs in Jerusalem. We have to take it there. And David's like, yeah, you're right. You're right, we do. Because that's, this house of of Obed-Edom, that's not where the Ark was meant to be. It wasn't intended to just bless one household, but to bless the nation. And when David is confronted with this, he realizes the truth, and he overcomes his fear of the ark, and he takes the ark to Jerusalem, where it can bless the nation, where it's supposed to be, where God has asked for it to go. It's his purpose for it to go to Jerusalem. Jesus' ministry wasn't meant to just bless Capernaum. It was meant to bless the world. But the people of Capernaum had a, had a hard time seeing that. They were enjoying the blessings that were being poured out on them with Jesus in their town. The, the sick were being healed, demons being cast out. This is wonderful. Just stay here and take care of these issues, please. They wanted him to stay. As, as Joel B. Green puts it in his commentary on Luke, he writes, Failing to understand who Jesus is and therefore the scale of his mission, they, the people of Capernaum, hope to limit his ministry to their own boundaries. They hope to limit his ministry to their own boundaries. Do we put boundaries on Jesus? Do we put boundaries on Jesus? Do we have particular ways that we expect Jesus to act? Particular ways do we expect Jesus to move in, in our lives, in the lives of those around us? Do we limit his ministry to our own needs and desires without looking at the full scope of what he came to do? What boundaries do we put on God's work in and around us? Do we tell God how we expect Him to be at work in our lives and then limit Him to that area of our life? I mean, make no mistake, there's, there's nothing wrong with asking God to heal the sickness of our loved one or to help us retain the information we've studied for a test that's, that's coming up or, or calling out to God for help when battling depression or whatever situation, whatever our need might be. But if those interactions are what define our relationship with God, that we've put him in a box. We've set up a boundary for how we are allowing him to work in our lives. And God is so much more than a force for good that we call out to in times of need. He's so much more than a force for good that we call out to in times of need. Maybe our boundaries are more like those of the people of Nazareth. They were angry at Jesus' insinuation that he was not here just for the Jews. We looked at that a little bit last week, right? We, we, he, last week he pointed out how that both Elijah and Elisha were sent to people outside the nation of Israel, even though the people of Israel were also in positions of great need. And then this, this ticked that crowd off so much, they were so infuriated in Nazareth, that they were then preparing to kill him. That's it. We're done. We're done. Are there people that we just can't imagine God trying to save? Are there people, maybe groups of people or individuals, that we just, we just can't wrap our heads around the possibility of them being Christians one day? Maybe it's the the stoners. Maybe it's the gang members. Maybe it's those in the the pro-choice movement like we talked about last week. Maybe it's the 1%. Maybe it's the sex addicts. Maybe it's the one who betrayed your trust and, and, and wounded you deeply. Do we put up boundaries on how God can be at work in the lives of others? There are times that I have set up boundaries for God. There are times that I've said, God, this is how I expect you to work in my life. So, you know, anytime, anytime, you got a lot to do and not a lot of time to do it in. There are times that I've said, God, this is, or there is no way that you could possibly melt that particular heart of stone. Like there's, there's just no way. And what's more, I don't really want you to because I detest that person. They have deeply offended me. Their words and and the things that they say and do are an insult to my faith. They are an insult to me. And therefore, I have no desire to proclaim the truth of your gospel to them, not only because I'm scared silly to do so, but also because it wouldn't have any effect. It's a heart of stone. Man, I don't even really want to pray for them right now. as I reflect on boundaries that I have selfishly and sinfully set up for God in my life, I am so encouraged by what this passage reveals about Jesus, my savior and my Lord. In our passage this morning, a man who is possessed by a demon challenges him in the synagogue in the church saying, let us alone, let us alone, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebukes the demon, commanding it to be silent and to leave the man. And it does. And we, we get this picture of this like defiant departure that does no harm. Which is interesting. This, this defiant departure that, that does no harm. It's like, it's like a kid gesturing an angel at their parents. By just, I'm just I'm so mad, I, I can't do anything. But this is this, all like... Ugh, ugh. I'm just done. Get out of here. Ah. The demon throws the man down, but he does him no harm. And everyone's amazed. This man can cast out a demon in a crowd of people. And then we see Jesus at the house of Simon, Simon, who would soon be called Peter. And Peter's mother in law is sick. She has a high fever and Peter and the family appear to Jesus on behalf of the mother-in-law and Jesus rebukes the fever and it leaves her and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now those two instances follow each other, one after the other in the passage, and, and the wording is so similar that it's possible to misunderstand what's happening. It's possible to see the fever as another demon, but that's not what our text is illustrating here. Our verses this morning are illustrating, they are revealing Jesus' ministry of release. In order to release something, you need to have more power than what is keeping it controlled or contained. I, I get the picture of, of like two chains. They're, you know, they got their hooks and you got a, maybe a truck or something pulling on either side. And those, those chains are just taut. And it's, it's, it's it's just so strong in order to in order to let make those hooks let go in order to get them to to cuz they're not going to just bend right like my fingers if i pull too hard then my fingers going to be like forget it i'm done and they're just going to give up but hooks aren't like they're they're solid they're made of steel the only way to get those hooks undone is to have more power than the forces opposing and to pull those things together and unhook to make slack to release have more power than the forces pulling. Our text this morning reveals the power that Jesus has over diabolical forces. We see his power over the demons and how they call out to him in recognition and fear Have you come to destroy us? And we see his healing of diseases and sickness in verse 42. And we see how he rebukes the illness in Peter's mother in law, releasing her from its grasp. This morning we see so clearly the power that Jesus has over darkness. But Jesus didn't come to be a band-aid. He didn't come to be a band-aid. Those men who had demons cast out of them, who is, what, what is stopping the demons from, from entering them again? Peter's mother-in-law, how, how likely is it that she would get sick Again? That she would develop another fever. All of these people that that Jesus was healing in the town of Capernaum, how likely was it that they would get more diseases, more illnesses? Very likely. Probable. How many of us just get over a cold and we're like, okay, I've got to stay distant from anybody with a cold because I don't want to do that again for the next week and a half, two weeks, three weeks, whatever it's been. We know that we're susceptible to those same sicknesses, those same illnesses taking us again. And so we can see why they wanted him to stay. Hey, miracle man, like there's a good chance that we're all going to have these problems again. Like it's probably going to happen again. So why don't you just like hang out? Why don't you just stay here and bless us? Keep us healthy. Keep casting out the demons and, and rebuking the fevers. Keep releasing us here in our city of Capernaum, from the darkness of this present age. But Jesus responds, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus was not sent for a localized mission to Capernaum. That was not the extent of why he came into this world as a baby. He wasn't sent to be a band-aid for the people of one small city in Judea. He came to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. That's a phrase that that pops up quite a bit in the book of Luke. The kingdom of God is, is a new world order where, as we see here in this passage in Luke, the demonized, the sick the women and the others living in the margins of society are embraced in the redemptive purpose of God. It's not just for the healthy, the strong, those that are living right, those that are born to the right family. This is for everyone. Everyone. So much for those boundaries that we've been putting up, those boxes that we make. John B. Green writes that the kingdom of God refers to both God's saving activity and the community and and practices that embody God's saving purpose. The kingdom of God refers to both God's saving activity and the community and practices that embody God's saving purpose. Jesus didn't come to be a band-aid. He doesn't fit in that box We can't typecast him in that way. In his proclaiming the kingdom of God, he is proclaiming God's saving activity. He is proclaiming how he would take the sin of the world on his shoulders, how he would carry them along with the cross up the hill to Calvary, Golgotha, the place of the skull, where he would die for them, paying the price that we could not, and that through faith in him, we would be acceptable to God because we would be covered in Jesus. Jesus didn't come to be the band-aid. He came to be the cure. He came to be the cure. He came to be the answer to our problem. He came to reconcile us with God. Jesus came to release us from darkness. Darkness. The power of darkness, the power of sin is no longer the strongest power at play in our lives when we believe in Jesus. When we believe he did all that the Bible says he did and and that we needed him to do it, then the sin that we are born with, the sin that we battle, that pulls us where we do not want to go or encourages us to places that we want to go but shouldn't be going, that darkness is no longer the strongest force in our life. It is no longer the force that determines our eternal resting place. For Jesus has power over the diabolical forces of this world. And when we rest in him, we can fight the good fight of faith. We will fail to be perfect. We will give in to temptation at times. Many, many times. But Jesus has conquered. But because Jesus conquered the darkness on the cross, he has released us from the guilt and the shame of our failings. For in and through Jesus, we are forgiven. You are forgiven. I am forgiven. Jesus came to release us from the darkness in our lives, including the darkness of our boundaries. For there is no boundary to the saving work that Jesus came to do. There is no one outside the scope of his forgiveness or power. And we can be so thankful for that. We can be so thankful for that. For we deserve, we have earned everything that anyone outside the boundaries that we have put up has earned. There is no one in Christ that is any more deserving than anyone who is not yet in a relationship with Christ. We are all, because of our sin, people in the margins, people on the outside, people that God loves. People that he is calling into his kingdom, people that God is calling to community with himself and with each other people that he is calling to live as he desires us to live, not because he is a tyrant, but because living the Christian life is the best way to love our neighbor, honor God, and live in the safety that he has secured for us. Jesus came and gave the church a mission. He released us from the bondage of our sin, from the chains that kept us bound, and tied up, and now he is calling us, releasing us to join him in his mission to bring about his kingdom. What a privilege, what a joy, what an honor, what an amazing God we serve. Amen.